Part two of Chapter twenty two of Persuasion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Persuasion by Jane Austen. Chapter twenty two. Part two. Her plan of sitting with Lady Russell must give way for the present. They all three called him River Street for a couple of minutes, but Anne convinced herself that a day's delay of the intended communication could be of no consequence, and hastened forward to the White Hart to see again the friends and companions of the last autumn, with an eagerness of good-will which many associations contributed to form. They found Mrs. Musgrove and her daughter within, and by themselves, and Anne had the kindest welcome from each. Henrietta was exactly in that state of recently improved views, of fresh-formed happiness, which made her full of regard and interest for everybody she had ever liked before at all, and Mrs. Musgrove's real affection had been won by her usefulness when they were in distress. It was a heartiness and a warmth and a sincerity which Anne delighted in the more from the sad want of such blessings at home. She was entreated to give them as much of her time as possible, invited for every day and all day long, or rather claimed as part of the family, and in return she naturally fell into all her wonted ways of attention and assistance, and on Charles's leaving them together, was listening to Mrs. Musgrove's history of Louisa, and to Henrietta's of herself, giving opinions on business and recommendations to shops, with intervals of every help which Mary required, from altering her ribbon to settling her accounts, from finding her keys and assorting her trinkets, to trying to convince her that she was not ill-used by anybody, which Mary, well amused as she generally was, in her station at a window overlooking the entrance to the pump-room, could not but have her moments of imagining. A morning of thorough confusion was to be expected. A large party in an hotel ensured a quick, changing, unsettled scene. One five minutes brought a note, the next a parcel, and Anne had not been there half an hour, when their dining-room, spacious as it was, seemed more than half filled. A party of steady old friends were seated around Mrs. Musgrove, and Charles came back with Captains Harvel and Wentworth. The appearance of the latter could not be more than the surprise of the moment. It was impossible for her to have forgotten to feel that this arrival of their common friends must be soon bringing them together again. Their last meeting had been most important in opening his feelings. She had derived from it a delightful conviction, but she feared from his looks that the same unfortunate persuasion which had hastened him away from the concert-room still governed. He did not seem to want to be near enough for conversation. She tried to be calm, and leave things to take their course, and tried to dwell much on this argument of rational dependence. Surely, if there be constant attachment on each side, our hearts must understand each other ere long. We are not boy and girl to be captiously irritable, misled by every moment's inadvertence, and wantonly playing with our own happiness. And yet, a few minutes afterwards, she felt as if their being in company with each other, under the present circumstances, could only be exposing them to inadvertencies and misconstructions of the most mischievous kind. "'Anne!' cried Mary, still at her window. "'There is Mrs. Clay, I am sure, standing under the colonnade, and a gentleman with her. I saw them turn the corner from Bath Street just now. They seem deep in talk. Who is it? Come and tell me. Good heavens, I recollect. It is Mr. Elliot himself.' "'No!' cried Anne, quickly. "'It cannot be Mr. Elliot, I assure you. He was to leave Bath at nine this morning, and does not come back till to-morrow.' As she spoke, she felt that Captain Wentworth was looking at her, the consciousness of which vexed and embarrassed her, and made her regret that she had said so much, simple as it was. 
Mary, resenting that she should be supposed not to know her own cousin, began talking very warmly about the family features, and protesting still more positively that it was Mr. Elliot, calling again upon Anne to come and look for herself. But Anne did not mean to stir, and tried to be cool and unconcerned. Her distress returned, however, on perceiving smiles and intelligent glances pass between two or three of the lady visitors, as if they believed themselves quite in the secret. It was evident that the report concerning her had spread, and a short pause succeeded, which seemed to ensure that it would now spread farther. "'Do come, Anne,' cried Mary. "'Come and look yourself. You will be too late if you do not make haste. They are parting. They are shaking hands. He is turning away. Not no, Mr. Elliot, indeed. You seem to have forgot all about Lyme.' To pacify Mary, and perhaps screen her own embarrassment, Anne did move quietly to the window. She was just in time to ascertain that it really was Mr. Elliot, which she had never believed, before he disappeared on one side, as Mrs. Clay walked quickly off on the other. And checking the surprise, which she could not but feel at such an appearance of friendly conference between two persons of totally opposite interest, she calmly said, "'Yes, it is Mr. Elliot, certainly. He has changed his hour of going, I suppose, that is all. Or I may be mistaken. I might not attend.' and walked back to her chair, recomposed, and with the comfortable hope of having acquitted herself well. The visitors took their leave, and Charles, having civilly seen them off, and then made a face at them and abused them for coming, began with, "'Well, mother, I have done something for you that you will like. I have been to the theatre, and secured a box for to-morrow night. Aren't I a good boy? I know you love a play, and there is room for us all. It holds nine. I have engaged Captain Wentworth. Anne will not be sorry to join us, I am sure. We all like a play.' Have not I done well, mother?" Mrs. Musgrove was good-humouredly beginning to express her perfect readiness for the play, if Henrietta and all the others liked it, when Mary eagerly interrupted her by exclaiming, "'Good heavens, Charles! How can you think of such a thing? Take a box for to-morrow night? Have you forgot that we are engaged to Camden Place to-morrow night, and that we are most particularly asked to meet Lady de Rimple and her daughter, and Mr. Elliot, and all the principal family connections on purpose to be introduced to them? How can you be so forgetful?' "'Foo-foo!' replied Charles. "'What's an evening-party? Never worth remembering. Your father might have asked us to dinner, I think, if he had wanted to see us. You may do as you like, but I shall go to the play. Oh, Charles! I declare it will be too abominable if you do, when you promise to go.' "'No, I did not promise. I only smirked and bowed, and said the word happy. There was no promise.' "'But you must go, Charles. It would be unpardonable to fail. We were asked on purpose to be introduced.' There was always such a great connection between the Dalrymples and ourselves. Nothing ever happened on either side that was not announced immediately. We are quite near relations, you know, and Mr. Elliot, too, whom you ought so particularly to be acquainted with. Every attention is due to Mr. Elliot. Consider my father's heir, the future representative of the family." "'Don't talk to me about heirs and representatives,' cried Charles. "'I am not one of those who neglect the reigning power to bow to the rising sun. If I would not go for the sake of your father, I should think it scandalous to go for the sake of his heir. What is Mr. Elliot to me?" The careless expression was life to Anne, who saw that Captain Wentworth was all attention, looking and listening with his whole soul, and that the last words brought his inquiring eyes from Charles to herself. Charles and Mary still talked on in the same style, he half serious and half jesting, maintaining the scheme for the play, and she, invariably serious, most warmly opposing it, and not omitting to make it known that, however determined to go to Camden Place herself, she should not think herself very well used if they went to the play without her. Mrs. Musgrove interposed. "'We had better put it off. Charles, you had much better go back and change the box for Tuesday. 
It would be a pity to be divided, and we should be losing Miss Anne, too, if there is a party at her father's. And I am sure neither Henrietta nor I should care at all for the play if Miss Anne could not be with us." Anne felt truly obliged to her for such kindness, and quite as much so for the opportunity it gave her of decidedly saying, "'If it depended only on my inclination, ma'am, the party at home, excepting on Mary's account, would not be the smallest impediment. I have no pleasure in the sort of meeting, and should be too happy to change it for a play and with you. But it had better not be attempted, perhaps.' She had spoken it, but she trembled when it was done, conscious that her words were listened to, and daring not even to try to observe their effect. It was soon generally agreed that Tuesday should be the day, Charles only reserving the advantage of still teasing his wife, by persisting that he would go to the play to-morrow if nobody else would. Captain Wentworth left his seat, and walked to the fireplace, probably for the sake of walking away from it soon afterwards, and taking a station, with less barefaced design, by Anne. "'You have not been long enough in Bath,' said he, to enjoy the evening parties of the place. "'Oh, no. The usual character of them has nothing for me. I am no card-player.' "'You are not formally, I know. You did not used to like cards. But time makes many changes.' "'I am not yet so much changed,' cried Anne, and stopped, fearing she hardly knew what misconstruction. After waiting a few moments, he said, and as if it were the result of immediate feeling, "'It is a period, indeed. Eight years and a half is a period.' Whether he would have proceeded farther was left to Anne's imagination to ponder over in a calmer hour. For while still hearing the sounds he had uttered, she was startled to other subjects by Henrietta, eager to make use of the present leisure for getting out, and calling on her companions to lose no time, lest somebody else should come in. They were obliged to move. Anne talked of being perfectly ready, and tried to look it, but she felt that could Henrietta have known the regret and reluctance of her heart in quitting that chair, in preparing to quit the room, she would have found, in all her own sensations for her cousin, in the very security of his affection wherewith to pity her. Their preparations, however, were stopped short, alarming sounds were heard, other visitors approached, and the door was thrown open for Sir Walter and Miss Elliot, whose entrance seemed to give a general chill. Anne felt an instant oppression, and wherever she looked saw symptoms of the same. The comfort, the freedom, the gaiety of the room was over hushed into cold composure, determined silence, or insipid talk, to meet the heartless elegance of her father and sister. How mortifying to feel that it was so! Her jealous eye was satisfied in one particular. Captain Wentworth was acknowledged again by each, by Elizabeth more graciously than before. She even addressed him once, and looked at him more than once. Elizabeth was, in fact, revolving a great measure. The sequel explained it. After the waste of a few minutes in saying the proper nothings, she began to give the invitation which was to comprise all the remaining dues of the Musgroves. "'To-morrow evening, to meet a few friends, no formal party.' It was all said very gracefully, and the cards with which she had provided herself, the Miss Elliot at home, were laid on the table with a courteous, comprehensive smile to all, and one smile and one card more decidedly for Captain Wentworth. The truth was, that Elizabeth had been long enough in Bath to understand the importance of a man of such an air and appearance as his. The past was nothing. The present was that Captain Wentworth would move about well in her drawing-room. The card was pointedly given, and Sir Walter and Elizabeth arose and disappeared. The interruption had been short, though severe, and ease and animation returned to most of those they left as the door shut them out, but not to Anne. She could think only of the invitation she had with such astonishment witnessed and of the manner in which it had been received. 
a manner of doubtful meaning, of surprise rather than gratification, of polite acknowledgment rather than acceptance. She knew him. She saw disdain in his eye, and could not venture to believe that he had determined to accept such an offering, as an atonement for all the insolence of the past. Her spirits sank. He held the card in his hand after they were gone, as if deeply considering it. "'Only think of Elizabeth's including everybody,' whispered Mary very audibly. "'I do not wonder Captain Wentworth is delighted. You see he cannot put the card out of his hand.' Anne caught his eye, saw his cheeks glow, and his mouth form itself into a momentary expression of contempt, and turned away, that she might neither see nor hear more to vex her. The party separated. The gentlemen had their own pursuits, the ladies proceeded on their own business, and they met no more while Anne belonged to them. She was earnestly begged to return and dine, and give them all the rest of the day. But her spirits had been so long exerted that at present she felt unequal to more, and fit only for home, where she might be sure of being as silent as she chose. Promising to be with them the whole of the following morning, therefore, she closed the fatigues of the present by a toilsome walk to Camden Place, there to spend the evening chiefly in listening to the busy arrangements of Elizabeth and Mrs. Clay for the morrow's party, the frequent enumeration of the persons invited, and the continually improving detail of all the embellishments which were to make it the most completely elegant of its kind in Bath, while harassing herself with the never-ending question of whether Captain Wentworth would come or not. They were reckoning him as certain, but with her it was a gnawing solicitude never appeased for five minutes together. She generally thought he would come, because she generally thought he ought, but it was a case which she could not so shape into any positive act of duty or discretion as inevitably to defy the suggestions of very opposite feelings. She only roused herself from the broodings of this restless agitation to let Mrs. Clay know that she had been seen with Mr. Elliot three hours after his being supposed to be out of Bath, for having watched in vain for some intimation of the interview from the lady herself, she determined to mention it. And it seemed to her that there was guilt in Mrs. Clay's face as she listened. It was transient, cleared away in an instant, but Anne could imagine she read there the consciousness of having, by some complication of mutual trick, or some overbearing authority of his, been obliged to attend, perhaps for half an hour, to his lectures and restrictions on her designs on Sir Walter. She exclaimed, however, with a very tolerable imitation of nature, "'Oh, dear! Very true! Only think, Miss Elliot, to my great surprise I met with Mr. Elliot in Bath Street. I was never more astonished. He turned back and walked with me to the pump-yard. He had been prevented setting off for Thornbury, but I really forget by what. For I was in a hurry, and could not much attend, and I can only answer for his being determined not to be delayed in his return. He wanted to know how early he might be admitted to-morrow. He was full of to-morrow, and it is very evident that I have been full of it too, ever since I entered the house, and learnt the extension of your plan, and all that had happened, or my seeing him could never have gone so entirely out of my head. End of chapter 22